Welcome back to the Art of Photography. My name is Ted Forbes. In this video, I want to take a look at early color process. And I want to talk about autochrome process, which became commercially available in about 1907. About a month ago, Michael Zhang from Petapixel ran an article on a British photographer from the early 20th century by the name of Mervyn O'Gorman. And Mervyn O'Gorman was a very interesting photographer and is really known best. I've never seen any of his other images, but he is very famous for this set of images that he did of his daughter, Christina. They were shot in autochrome and there's a very haunting quality to them when you look at these images. The color is not reproduced to the true level that we're used to today with digital photography. This was, you know, over 100 years ago. But what's really interesting about these are the way that that vivid red in, in her clothes pops out and just this real nostalgic quality to these images. And he's really well known for this set of images. And it got me thinking, you know, it's interesting because autochrome came along a lot earlier than what most of us use as our point of reference for color photography. It kind of came, it became extremely popular, and then it fell out of fashion, and we didn't see color photography come back into fashion until really the 1960s or 1970s. And what happened in between? I think that's a really interesting thing to look at and question a little bit. So I've done some research on this today, and I want to talk about some other practitioners of early color photography, how it came to be so widely used, and kind of what happened to it. So without further ado, let's go over and have a look. The book that I'm going to be using for our examples here is called Impressionist Camera Pictorial Photography in Europe 1888 to 1918. Of course pictorialism was a global phenomenon um, really spearheaded uh, by the photo secession in the United States led by Alfred Stieglitz and Edward Steichen but it was a global phenomenon and if you're interested in pictorialism this book is wonderful because it really deals with a very specific set of photographers coming out of Europe from that period and I'm using this because the color photography in here is really wonderful in fact really the book is good throughout there are a few greatest hits of pictorialism in here but really not many it explores a lot of images that I wasn't familiar with when I bought the book it is out of print unfortunately um, but it is not a rare book so if you keep your eyes open at used bookstores might see if Powell's has a link I know you can get it on Amazon it's a little pricey there because it's out of print um, but it is quite good and I really recommend it um, anyway I want to talk a little bit about uh, pictorialism and color photography um, we've talked about it a little bit on the show in the past but I want to use these as examples because I think these are absolutely wonderful and I want to tell the story of early color photography and how that that came into play with pictorialism and all the artistic and cultural things going on uh, at the turn of the 20th century here. And so anyway, uh, these are all examples of what we call autochrome. And to give you a little bit of the story here, so autochrome is a mechanical process. It was basically you would go buy glass plates. So it was much like what we would do with film today where you actually go buy something that is pre-made. And autochrome was released in the United States first and Stieglitz and Steichen uh, got a hold of some and absolutely fell in love with it. And they, being just in, you know, champions of photography anyway, bought a bunch of it and they were giving it away to their friends because they were so excited about this process they wanted to get other people into using it. And so the story is, is they went that summer to uh, Munich and then into Germany, Austria, and kind of did this trip through Europe and, you know, met with people like Heinrich Kuhn who became known for doing autochromes later and that was his first exposure to it. Uh, Alvin Langdon Coburn fell in love with it and was using it. And so a lot of big name photographers got into it. By the time it was released in Europe and I don't know the exact date on that but I think it was around 1907 uh, it was the craze and pictorialists were all going crazy about monochrome now part of the reason why is because it was a very easy way to reproduce color all of a sudden it was not the first and if we look back historically there were ways of doing uh, color processes I want to start with this one um, but they were pretty involved and this is a gum bichromate image and a lot of times to do color 
it was hard to get it exactly perfectly representational of what you see in the world. In fact, it really wasn't. Uh, there were ways of layering it to do so. And of course, another very common technique that you saw was just using it as a tent in more of a monochrome type fashion. So you see this a lot with, uh, with the blue tones, with sepia. Uh, there was some red um, toning that people did with, with images too. And so there was a lot of toning going on with photographs and using color, but it was not used in a representative fashion, a representational way, whereas some of these images are. They were very difficult to do. A lot of times they required uh, multiple exposures in the camera, or they would require layering in the printing process, and having the negative just in the right place while you did the color layer. And it was really difficult to do. Um, some people were just extremely good at this, and, and quite they were masters at it. This is an image, this is a carbon process, and again, it's multiple layers, and you start to see what is more realistic in terms of color. And maybe it's not perfectly realistic, but that uh, you know interpretation of color, um, you know, as you're making art, what it does psychologically, and you know these things are what drew people to color. So by the time Autochrome comes out, uh, it's a process that's a lot easier to do. It's very accessible to a lot of photographers. There's not a whole lot to learn about it, and so really pretty early on, you get um, a good feel for you know making color prints. And you know by today's standards, Autochrome is not you know what we see with color digital photography now. If you zoom way in on these, these are wonderful reproductions, but if you zoom way in, and I did an episode on Heinrich Kuhn um, a couple months ago, and I'll link up to that at the end of this episode, but I highly recommend you check it out. When you zoom way in on these autochromes, you do see kind of this pointillistic quality. And the process was made using basically potato starch, and it used, you know, a way of using dyes within that. It was a three-color process to create the illusion of color. And a lot of our early practitioners of this process really liked the fact that it had that pointillistic quality. Um, I guess in today's terms, we might consider this to be grainy. But a lot of these images still had a lot of the hallmark traits of earlier early pictorialism. Um, you know, a lot of this soft focus, sometimes things are knocked a little bit out of focus, and it was kind of this art look. You see the swirling focus here with the real shallow depth of field and these wide lenses that were being used. It was a pretty slow process, so you did need to use a, a really wide aperture um, if you want to keep your exposures under control. These three prints are Heinrich Kuhn. We talked about him before on the show. He's one of my favorites, and I think he was just absolutely one of the great practitioners of autochrome, and his career was mostly known for autochrome, but the way the selective focus works, his compositional sense, how it worked within that. Um, he took autochrome and ran with it. It really was his thing, and he did just some amazingly beautiful work um, with, with that as a, as a medium. Um, you can see, too, that you know, we don't see the accurate color reproduction that you know, we would be used to today with digital cameras, but you know, for instance, this has kind of a red stain to it, and this landscape is you know, kind of selectively colored in a sense. But what's interesting is that you know, this, this early color when we look at this now, and this is kind of the point I want to make, is that a lot of times, you know, our point of reference or our area of focus is, you know, what we've grown up with and what we're familiar with. For instance, you know, I grew up in the age of 35 millimeter film. That was considered the professional standard, even though 35 millimeter film is really small, and in the early days it was considered an amateur format. But, you know, that was the area era I grew up in. So there was no, you know, none of this hand process that you see with a lot of the pictorialists. What ended up killing 
color. It was the rage for a while. And then a lot of artists started to determine that they felt because it was a mechanical process that they just purchased over the counter and then made pictures with, that it really wasn't an artistic process. And I think that's really interesting to look at in those terms. And like I said, it all depends on the era that you're used to, where you grew up, um, what you grew up knowing, and that's what their point of reference was. And if you look at pictorialism and pictorialist art and what some of these people were doing, uh, I'm going to give you a great example here. Um, this is uh, Robert Dumanche, who was a uh, French photographer, in fact, probably one of the better known of the French pictorialists. And he had this amazing style where he would actually paint the emulsion on, and he'd do it in a way of manipulating. He was kind of this master of, of, of doing gum bichromate process and a lot of these things. And they look like kind of these abstract, half-drawing, half-photographs. And he did a ton of these. Um, extremely good photographer. But that was the process that people felt was, was normal to do. This is another Dimanche. Um, and, you know, today our point of reference makes us a little bit silly. It's kind of like saying you can't be a painter unless you're going to go out and mix your own pigments, which is a little bit ridiculous. But that was where photography was at that point, and that's where the pictorialists were coming from. And they were madly trying to get photography to be accepted as a fine art form. You know, if you, if you consider the invention of photography was done by scientists, and what made photography an art form is when you had people who were basically amateurs or hobbyists that came at it and started experimenting with it. And Dimanche was definitely of that ilk. I mean, there are a lot of photographers that fall into that group, and that's what drove it as a process. But it's also kind of what killed the color process early on. However, when we see these color images, I think from our point of reference, if I'm flipping back and forth on you here, but where we are today in the world, and the fact that when we make images now, you know, they're by default, their color. And we have to actually go out of our way with digital photography to take them another step to make them monochrome. Or maybe there's a specialized digital camera that only shoots monochrome. I mean, there's, it's just really weird to think of monochrome as the alternative now when, or, or actually the rarity now, when back in these days, monochrome was everywhere and color was that alternative or that rarity. And that, it's just a really interesting thing now. And also because we're so used to color um, definition and representation now with modern digital cameras is being a lot more accurate than what we saw, uh, you know, in 1907. There's a certain nostalgic, maybe memory tripping element to these that I think is very appealing to people. And I know it is for me when I look at these images. It's, it, it seems real, but it doesn't seem real because the colors are just, there's something about them that's just surreal. It's, it's more like a memory thing where, you know, you remember something, obviously we see colors and that goes into our mind. Uh, and, you know, when we remember something, it may be colored by a mood or a perception or something like that. And so a lot of these images, I think for a lot of people have that feel to them. But this is a really interesting genre of photography and particularly when you look at some of this early stuff. You know, autochrome is long since gone, and it's just really interesting that because it was a mechanical innovation, uh, people were so hyped about it at first, but then lost interest because it was mechanical and it was not something that came from the soul or came from, uh, you know, the mind of the artist or maybe even more kind of strange in some ways, the labor of the artist. You weren't mixing your own chemicals. You weren't diving in and making the whole thing from scratch with your hands. And I think that was really important to these photographers at that time. Anyway, I will put a link to this in the show notes. It's worth looking for. Be patient. You can probably find it used if you like. I will give you a couple other recommendations as well. Um, the Heinrich Kuhn book, and I said I'll link up to the show at the end of this one. Uh, Heinrich was amazing, and he really took autochrome and ran with it. That was just became his deal, and he was so good at it. Um, this one, The Perfect Photograph, is a 
amazingly good. It is also out of print, but a little easier to find. And then one that is in print that is very good as well is this one, Heinrich Kuhn and his American Circle, which talks about his relationship with Stieglitz and Steichen. This was done by Neue Gallery in New York, which owns some of Kuhn's work and are recommended if you're in the New York area. Uh, definitely go check it out. Wonderful, wonderful museum, and they do some great stuff. So that is color photography um, circa 1907. I want to take a second and give a shout out to our sponsor today who are the awesome folks over at QuickBooks Self-Employed. If you were like me and you were self-employed or own a small business, you know that every year, and this is what I go through, tax time is a hair pulling, nail biting experience. And it's a lot of work and it's not a lot of fun. I'm not an accountant. I'm a creative and I make videos and I shoot photos and that's what I do best. And it's really difficult. I've always hired a CPA to help me do that. And even if you're hiring a CPA, which you should do, you still have to have some Kind of tool to help you keep all the stuff together. You need to be able to track your expenses. You need to be able to track your income. And QuickBooks provides a really cool solution for that. And they have a product now that's catered specifically to people who are self-employed or run a small business. So come on over to the computer and I want to show you this. They have basically two plans with this service. They have a self-employed plan and a small business plan. There's a couple dollars difference between the two. Um, but they will allow you to do things like keep track of your income, keep track of your expenses. Is something a business expense or is it a personal expense? What can you you deduct what is depreciable. Um, it allows you to track all your income and expenses as well as link up with your bank accounts and your credit cards so you can track everything there as well. If you file quarterly, which a lot of people do, it'll help you estimate what that cost is to file quarterly. The small business plan allows you to do a couple extra things that are really nice for some people. So if you have any kind of transactions to keep track of or if you need to do any invoicing of clients, you can all do it all from QuickBooks, which is very, very cool. I'm going to give you a special link here so you can try it out absolutely free. And what you want to do is go to the following link and I'll put this in the show notes as well if you just want to click on it but it is tryselfemployed.com slash AOP that is tryselfemployed.com slash AOP that will get you a free 30-day trial of QuickBooks and uh, anyway I think you're really gonna like it go try it out it's absolutely free and see if it's right for you I want to give a special shout out and special thanks to the folks at QuickBooks for sponsoring another episode of the art of photography Early color photography to me is a really interesting subject. And as I mentioned, it, it's something that came very much into vogue, uh, was the rage for a very short period of time, then kind of went away and wasn't until much later that it came back. The reasons for this, you know, a lot of it was photographers who didn't deem a mechanical process of something that was pre-prepared that they would shoot on uh, to be very artistic in nature, kind of went against what they were thinking of in terms of being an artist. And so much of this is our point of reference and what time we're from and what time we live in. And this was just kind of a trait of early pictorialism, or really all of pictorialism for that matter. And pictorialism is a, is a fascinating subject unto itself. I hope you guys have found this interesting. Anyway, I will put links to all the books I've talked about in the show notes below. And you can go check it out. On that note, I want to mention one other thing, and it has to do with the Art of Photography website, with the show's website. And I'm about to relaunch this, and it's going to come in two phases. Uh, I have a brand new design that's going to go out with better typography, easier to read, loads faster, all that stuff. And then that's kind of phase one. The second phase is going to be what we're going to do with that website. And this is something that's been bothering me for a long time because, you know, I've done this show, which is really the primary source of content that we do here. Nothing wrong with that. I love doing it. But 
you know, if I distribute it on iTunes or YouTube, and both of those places are where people subscribe to it, then what is the use of having the website just be a reflection of those two things? And so as I was thinking about this, I think there's a, a large segment of people that just don't have the patience or video is not their thing. So what I wanna do is start supplementing the content that we make in the videos. I'm not gonna do any less videos, don't worry. We're gonna still make videos, but what I wanna do is when I talk about color photography or pictorialism or something like that, I wanna be able to point you to an article that will be a wonderful resource of images and further study, other links and resources and other things you can learn. And I think that would be a really nice extension to what we're doing here. So basically what I want to do is be able to extend this out past just doing a video every week. So stay tuned with that. In the next couple days, I'm just going to kind of do a soft launch on it because websites are hard to relaunch when you get to where you have as much content as we have on here. Part of me really wants to start churning out new stuff, but we're not there yet. I need to do the redesign first and then we're going to get there. So, you know, stay up with that as we move into the coming weeks because I'm going to have some really cool stuff for you guys to check out there. So I hope you find that of interest. And as always, if you enjoy this video, remember to hit the like button and share it with all your friends. We need to spread the word about the art of photography. And um, anyway, subscribe so you get all the future updates and videos and you stay up to date with the latest and greatest stuff all free of charge of course so hit the subscribe button hit the like button i'll see you guys in the next video once again this has been the art of photography catch you next time later